Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Shows or join the team at sport-social.co.uk. Hello, welcome back to the Masterclass Tactical Podcast. I'm your host, Haydo Rubani. I hope you're having a fantastic Sunday in the UK. The sun is shining. Uh, people are getting attacked by hay fever, Rob, myself included. But look, this wasn't the greatest performance at all. If anything, Rob, I'll be honest with you. Poor performance. United just weren't at it for a minute. Go sloppy in the final third. Yeah, sleep inducing. Um, look, just wasn't good enough, was it? And... You know, we talk about results at this stage of the season being very, very important, but you still got to put performances in and performances like that just aren't good enough. Yeah, as I said, I think I've been saying it for weeks now about where we are in the season is that performances don't really matter. What matters is results. So today, Manchester United didn't lose. Why did they not lose? Because they kind of turned up, did a little bit of a job, didn't do it particularly well. Leeds were a little bit scared after getting a hammer in last time they played us. They didn't play their natural game. And it just turned into a really horrible stalemate. Probably one of the worst games of the season to watch. Certainly one of the hardest games to tactically analyse when so many players are just particularly off and not popping and not playing particularly well. And Manchester United, I think, with one eye on the future with the Europa League, rather than actually getting on with their business, which would have been going to Leeds and beating them. I think if United had played their natural game, the natural standards, the quality maybe they've shown away from home for a year now. I think they walk this game. I think they win it comfortably. But the standard from back to front, all the way across the park. You know, I went and watched some kids football this morning that my son played in. And I saw the same issues in that game where these 15-year-olds are playing football that I saw today with Manchester United in the sense that you can't play a ball five yards. 
You can't pick up the play. You can't pick up the rhythm. The tempo's weird. No one's taking responsibility. Everyone's looking for one man on the pitch, Bruno Fernandes. Bruno Fernandes isn't really doing it. All of these issues and really Ole's substitution today, way too late in the game. No issue with rotation, but just a horrible game of football. We've got a comment here, Rob, from Ben saying, I quite enjoyed it. The two teams cancelled each other out, but I enjoyed how end-to-end and open it was. Uh, I think you might be in a minority here. What I will say... What game did you see, Ben? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, No, look, what I will say, Rob, is you've got to turn around and say that Bielsa smartened up. I thought that Leeds were less aggressive on their first wave press. They were more compact. They were smarter. You know, Oli picked a side, and I didn't have an issue with any of the selection, if I'm being honest, looking at it. I think we should address Paul Pogba not starting. Now, obviously, it is Ramadan for Muslims. Paul Pogba is fasting. You've got to take that into consideration. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, I'm Muslim. I fast. I can't even do my day-to-day. So playing professional football is it's, it's crazy, and it's, it's an amazing thing that these players are able to do that. So I can see why he didn't play. Um, you know, Oli would have wanted to match Leeds's industry and energy in midfield, and that's why McFred played. I can see why James played because in the reverse fixture, James was was fantastic. You know, it was suited to him in terms of exploiting the space that Leeds leave. You know, he has the pace, he has the energy to disrupt. But very early on, you could see that Leeds were playing more of a mid block, and you know, when you can't get past that first phase of the press, which United was struggling to, and when they did get past it in the final third. Because there weren't as many spaces, United had more of the possessions. You can see 55%. You know, quickly you'd realise this is a game that Paul Pogba really needed to start. Yes, but I think what you just said there is everything in a nutshell. So like you said there, you can't live your day-to-day life while you're fasting in that way. And we can't then expect him to go onto a football pitch. Now, I think for maybe football fans who are not religious, that might be something that is very hard to accept. I am also not particularly religious. I want to see my footballers on the football pitch. But I think if that is a consideration, then you have to you have to go to that. Uh, Paul Pogba came on for 15 minutes today. There's no doubt that was in Ole's thinking. But I think it, you've got to look at everyone. You know, you've got to look at the whole team. These performances, when we get them, are generally about eight or nine players, not really about two or three. Um, we can highlight that Bruno wasn't very good. We can highlight that Pogba wasn't there. But are they particularly interesting things to talk about? I must admit, as a football fan and as a pundit and as a as a journalist, not really, because they're kind of intangibles. But there's other bits to it with United about maybe their intensity, I think, but certainly at the start of games, stuff that we're seeing all the time, tempo. They just seem to be very flat out the blocks. And I don't believe that that's a tactic. I don't believe that they're coming into these games thinking, yeah, let's go out really slow. But I think there's such a heavy reliance still on Bruno Fernandes that when Bruno isn't popping or Bruno isn't joining those dots in the middle, that United are just not particularly very good. When he does pop and when United are, you know, more energetic, maybe more focused, maybe you've got Pogba out there as well, of course, they're just a better team and they can normally see off most teams in the Premier League. But today, I think from the very first minute, you know, I just watched it and I thought, half time, I thought this is going to be nil-nil. It had nil-nil written all over it. Sometimes you just get games like that. And I think United will go away and they won't be particularly bothered that it was nil-nil. And Leeds will be happy that they didn't get beaten again because they really did when they played us that last time or they completely exposed Bielsa's system. And they kind of, as you said, cancelled each other out today. 
And I think both teams will be relatively happy with a point. The people who won't be happy with a point, and rightfully so, are us lot who watched the game because there was nothing really to remember about that match. Absolutely, Rob. You know, you've touched on Bruno Fernandes. Let's touch on Bruno Fernandes because you're spot on. I think a lot of people will agree with that, that United system, the 4-2-3-1 is geared around Bruno Fernandes, getting the most out of him. Him in that number 10 position, he is the creative hub. And we've said many times that, you know, when his performances drop off, United's attacking performances just completely plummet. And he hasn't been great, really, for the last two to three months. You can see with his goal output, his assist output, you know, usually you say Bruno's played poorly, but he's he's affecting games he hasn't done for a while. And you're having a look at it. When Paul Pogba's played, he's looked better because he's maybe got... Uh, there's another player that the opposition are worrying about. He's got that extra half yard of space, a half second on the ball. You saw today that Bielsa did almost a... Uh, a Jose Mourinho Herrera on Hazard man marking job with Calvin Phillips. I mean, he completely marked Bruno out the game in the first game. What United did fantastically well. What Bruno did very well is that he pulled Phillips into into these spaces and it allowed McTominay to make those those runs in you know sort of beyond and uh, into the box. And that's where McTominay got his two goals. United couldn't do that today, could they? And it is a bit of a problem that if Bruno's having an off game, United look very very blunt. Yeah, and I think with Bruno as well, when you, you kind of analyse his game, he has a selfish side to his game and a selfless side of his game. So the selfless side with Bruno is that he will run like a dog for the whole match. So Bruno will go and join the press. He'll go beyond the striker and he'll be the one with the engine, head down, driving towards the goalkeeper, driving towards the ball. Now, that's really essential in Manchester United's system. We know that that's become a huge part of kind of Ole's tactics. The selfish side of Bruno's game is that Bruno just wants to do everything. Yeah, Bruno wants to get the ball at right back. Bruno wants to drop in midfield. Bruno wants to be the number 10. Bruno wants to be the false nine. Bruno wants to be number 11. Bruno wants to do everything. And I think in games like this where frustration is high because things are not quite working, rather than Bruno maybe calming the situation down, calming, leading, getting people, doing the right things, talking in that way, it's a lot of this and it's a lot of that and it's a lot of why was that not happening? And, and the thing is, you don't need that. That's not what you need from your leader on the pitch or your most important player. It's very rare that you actually see Paul Pogba do that. So even Paul Pogba, when he's in, in the game, whether it be in transition or in possession, Paul Pogba generally, demeanour-wise, is quite consistent, isn't he? He'll, he'll do Paul Pogba things. And I think with Bruno is that sometimes with Bruno, you just need him to make the game simple. Go and play football. Go and work in the areas where you can hurt the opponent the most. And I saw that today, that that was missing. Is that kind of Bruno again looked very frustrated. His final ball wasn't there. You could see he wasn't happy with his own game. But you could see he was also getting other players. He was in Dan James's ear quite a bit. He was in Mason Greenwood's ear quite a bit. No issue with that. Keep talking. But keep it productive. Keep it, you know, help the play along as opposed to making the play about you. So that's how I felt today. And I think that that was a detrimental thing for United. Wasn't actually surprised that he was the guy that got pulled right at the end. Now, I don't think that was maybe Ole making a point. You know, I think Donny needed a few minutes. So that was that change. It made sense. But there is an issue there for United at number 10 is that we need variation. Uh, I'm not going to say the, the word I'm going to say, actually, the Lingard word. But that's where you kind of, if you have a different kind of number 10, you can stylistically change your play. And that's what Van de Beek really is, Rob. He, he's a Supposed different kind anyway. of, he, he is a different 
a different kind of number 10 to Bruno, no doubt about it. But as we've talked about a lot on this show, is that does that style of number 10 suit the Premier League? So I was fine with him coming on in those final few minutes today. You know, I think he did okay. You know, he only had two or three touches. He looked quite lively as well, so that was good. Um, but United need to find this solution to... What does variation mean? You know, if it's not about Bruno that day, then who is it about? What do United do? You know, what is the style of play? Can you switch it up? Can you become a, a team that wants to play in transition to being more of a, a team that invites the opponent onto you so you can play through them? They're not things United have really got nailed down. And you saw that today. But I keep saying this. United are not particularly bothered about performances at the moment. You could see that today they had one eye on Roma. And that you, you you see this with United, there's this little bit of too much future thinking. Whereas today we'd probably preferred them to have more of both eyes on Leeds United. Yeah, absolutely. I do want to say as well, you know, there's a comment here saying that Wamsak was solid again today. I thought Wamsak was probably yeah, well. I think he he was uh, probably for me, it was probably United's best player. I thought that um, you know, he defended his channel very well. He was aware he was he's, he has improved on the ball, but you know. Rob, we've given him yeah. a lot of stick, haven't we? Um, yeah. And rightly so, you know, early on in the season. The first half of the season, he had a terrible half, but he's definitely improved and uh, it's good to see him. I do think United's, it's no no coincidence that, you know, coincidence that United's fullbacks improving has meant that United have become a better side. That's the two areas that we were saying, weren't we? The left and right back, we were saying, we need more from you going forward. Luke Shaw, you know, he just con continues to amaze me at the performances he's playing at. Honestly, I did not think he was going to, be a player like this at playing at this level and i said it i said it with my chest chest out and i'm happy to be proven wrong but you know the way he carries the ball the way he progresses with it his touch his dribbling his technique what did you say maybe three months ago on forming the best left back in europe and i laughed at you and a, a couple of other people laughed at you as well on twitter but you know both our fullbacks definitely you've got to give them credit you've got to give the coaching staff credit they have definitely improved and um again i think they're both solid today luke shaw player of the season right I, I don't care what Bruno does Bruno can have 100 goals and 100 assists Luke Shaw is the best player in this Manchester United team at the moment best player yeah I'm not even going best left back best left back in the universe I don't know you could you could you go as far as you want can't you really uh, I think the thing about Luke and Aaron is that Aaron really does have the best example of what he needs to do on the right hand side of the pitch operating on the left He's only really got to see what Luke Shaw does now in his all-round game, whether it be his coverage, his driving, his passing, his confidence. Luke Shaw has worked the game out, out up here. That's what he's done. And Luke Shaw says, I'm going to be Luke Shaw every week. I don't need to be anyone else. And that's what Aaron Wambasaka needs to be. He needs to be himself. And you're right. You know, I think we've we've rightfully kind of nailed him down at times this, this year and said the things that he's not very good at. But today he was good, you know, going forward. Still maybe not the kind of productivity that you want, but I think that was an issue for the team rather than, than Aaron. And I'm just very pleased with both the fullbacks because my take on it is this, and I said it at the start of the season, fullbacks win you titles. That's how it works now. Fullbacks win you matches in 90 minutes. Had United been able to, again, drive the ball a bit more further in the wide areas today with the fullbacks, I think we would have won this game 1-0 or something around that kind of um, that kind of result. But overall, it wasn't really there today. I think the playing through midfield didn't really allow that. Uh, I thought Mason was really good up top again. I think he's almost the most complete forward in the team now in terms of his passing ability, the way that he kind of 
drifts into the correct areas. Um, and you almost now kind of think that he would be wasted as a number nine because he does play the channel so well. He yeah, he drifts into the right channel really well. Yeah, and, and it's it's how he opens the play up from there, how he, how he kind of, you know, he, te- he gets the ball and he can spin and turn the correct way in a in a very economical fashion that maybe Rashford can't do. So it, it was good. Dan James certainly can't do that. Dan James is great in the straight line and can work hard, but he he hasn't got the talent of Mason. Um, and, and it's all about those things, trying to see that week to week to week and trying to find out what your best team is. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, we're going to answer some of your questions, some really good ones coming in. We'll also talk about, you know, the green and gold uh, glazer out movement. We're going to talk about that. Uh, I think it's important to address that. Uh, you know, Rob, a lot of, a lot of comments about the McFred double pivot, and it has been a lot of comments about that throughout the season. You know my views on it. I look at them and I think they work hard. They're solid. It's obvious why Ollie's playing that since what happened after the Spurs game. You know, it's almost shaken Ollie a little bit to to protect that defence. Um, and he it is his go-to midfielder. It is his, his go-to pivot. When I'm looking at that pivot, for me, I need someone. I want someone, obviously who's more progressive. And I've said this many, many times. You think, and I know that you agree with that, but you think they need to keep it basic and keep it simple. But the problem is that you can have all the attacking players and all the talent up top and playing at number 10. But if you can't get the ball to them in the right areas, it's a real, real problem. And look, I don't think that they, look, I don't think they can do that. That's the problem. And to probably address that position in the summer, don't they? Or they need to have more quality, someone on the ball that can play those passes, that can control the game. Because you saw today, United had 56% possession. You know, there's the question here saying, you know, why did Leeds play with a 44% possession? Bielsa abandoning his principles. I think that's actually a, a even a, even a compliment to Oli and United that Bielsa did that. I didn't expect that. Bielsa in the past doesn't do that. He just plays the way he wants to. But when United have more possession and they have to break down, you know, maybe low to mid blocks, they need more or they need more quality, don't they, from that position? Yeah, well, first of all, just Bielsa did that today because Bielsa didn't want to lose 5-0, right? So that's why Bielsa did it. So when you realise that your opponent is going to hurt you, you change. That's what everyone does. You know, even if you're Pep Guardiola, you might go out there. But if you think you're going to lose 5-0, there's every chance you might not do what you normally do. So that kind of answers that question. Just to kind of look into the pivot, and we talked about a double pivot probably more than any show on the history of the internet about why United play it and how they play it and what, what the function is. And this is it. Yeah, when you look at the stats at the bottom there, rolling along at the bottom of our screen here, obviously there's a lot of people listening on Spotify as well, so you can't see this. But it says, uh, you know, shot six, Manchester United got 16 shots today. Possession 56% Manchester United. Reading them out for, obviously, the guys who can't see this. Big chances, zero for Manchester United. Big chances missed, and of course, zero. Yeah. None of that has got anything to do with the double pivot. That is all about your creative players when they're playing in that half of the pitch being creative. So it's a little bit like when we talk about what does Harry Maguire do as a centre-back? What do you want him to do, first of all? Well, be a good defender. That's the first thing, isn't it? That's what you're looking for. Second thing is maybe getting a clean sheet. But the third thing and the fourth thing and the sixth thing is I'd like him to kind of drive the ball forward. I'd like him to join dots. I'd like him maybe to go into midfield, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The pivot is exactly the same. What's your first primary function of the pivot? It is to protect. It is to get the ball moving. And as you said there, if we were playing progressive passing, Haydar, from in front of Harry Maguire into Mason, into Bruno, and then we're on the edge of the box and we're scoring goals, 
happy days, fantastic. We don't do that ever. And it's not about personnel. It's about style and it's about formation. So you're right. It would be great to have a progressive player in the pivot and the natural player there, when you think of it in those terms, is Paul Pogba. But then you lose what Paul Pogba can do in the final third, or you lose his kind of twinkle toes in and around the box. I'm one of these people that kind of, I'm I'm either or. You, you play him where you need to play him. And yes, when a transfer market is open, go and find a player that maybe goes does those things. But what we see today, and in plenty of performances for Manchester United, is they just need more talent, Haydar, on the pitch sometimes. You know, it's not, it's very easy to look at a game like this that ended nil-nil, where Leeds didn't do a lot, and blame the double pivot. The double pivot just did what it had to do today. You know, and the double pivot's not going to win you games when your front players aren't popping. You know, I think it's much more salient to look at Bruno today. It's much more salient to kind of think about the front four. You know, how did that work? Did that mesh well? Yes, it'd be great to have a player who can go from deep and can pick out a pass. But that's not why you didn't win the game. That is not the truth. That is not. And when we look at the pivot, the failure. The thing about it, like across the season, Rob, across the season, you you know, for example, United haven't been able to change their system enough because of the fact that they're stuck in midfield. And that's why, you know, although, you know, it is frustrating, we see these performances, we see these first halves, we see, um, you know, the lackluster performances that we've seen today but you do have to look at it and think who does Oli actually play there because Matic is finished you know if Matic mm. was playing to the level he was in the last season it would be Matic and Pogba in midfield so automatically it's almost as if Oli has to pick those two to play but ultimately that is where United for me unless they improve upon in that position where they can control games where they can you know change the system until they sort out what goes on in the middle of the park, I think they're going to be stuck at this sort of level. The double pivot is not ever going to win Manchester United the league. The double pivot is just a functional part of the football pitch and you can play functional players in it. Now, it would be great that if you find your Kante or your Indeedy or someone like that, then yes, you might be able to do something different, but even they are not going to make you become progressive entities. You know, you kind of want to find a Paul Pogba to play in the double pivot so Paul Pogba can go and play somewhere else. Now, there's not many Paul Pogba's in the world. That's the truth. So I get exactly what you're saying, and I think you do have a point. But my point is this, is that you win titles by getting clean sheets and scoring lots of goals. That's the Manchester City formula. That's been the Liverpool formula for the last few years. And that's the formula for every successful team in the last 20 or 30 or 40 seasons. So that's how it is. The double pivot might be frustrating for player, for us to watch. Why? Because some of the passing's a bit crude. But that's not what this system does. Four, two, three, one. We know how this system pans out or why why United play it. You said just a minute ago, you know, uh, you know, how does Ole play it? What's more important is why does Ole play it? The reason why Ole plays this is because he wants to play in transition as much as possible. He wants Bruno up the pitch. He wants Bruno kind of sitting in as a false nine at times. And you saw that today. Bruno went a lot further up the pitch when, when he was getting man-marked. You see that Marcus stays to the left. You see that Dan James said, right, it's a system. This is what they practice. So that is what you need to change. But you cannot change it if you're bringing in worse players or players that might not win you games. Because what happens? You get sacked. So this is it. United are second in the league and rightfully second. I think they are the second best team in England this year. And that shows some level of success. But to go to the next level, 
United need to score a lot more goals. This is the bottom dollar. 16 shots today means Manchester United should have won this game. Manchester United did not win this game because they didn't have a striker on the pitch that was just lethal and putting the ball in the net. And you know what I'm going to say to that. So go and find your striker. But they didn't generate... create any big chances today, Rob. Well, they didn't create any big chances. But when you've got 16 chances on goal, score one and you win 1-0. That's all it is. That's how you get three points every week. So you're right. Not creating those chances is an indictment, I think, on our creativity. And it would be lovely to go and find your David Silva or someone like that who can play between that line and just give you all that beautiful creativity in and around the box. We haven't got that. So you have to use Pogba maybe in that role. But get Pogba up the pitch, allow Bruno to play off him and let him play more one-touch football around the box. That's when you get those beautiful goals where it all kind of just clicks like that. But in football function terms, you've got to just go in out there and do your job. And United are not always great at that. You know, sometimes you kind of think, so play the short stuff, do it well, and then get one-on-one -on -one with players. And I think so United, they're very messy, very choppy in how they approach the game. And it was the kind of game where they were going, we'd like to win this, but if we don't, we're all right with a clean sheet and nil-nil. And that's kind of exactly what happened. If you want to win the league and you want to win it well, go and score more goals. That's what worries me about this United team. They've got loads of talent, in the other half of the football pitch, but we still probably don't score goals in scenarios where you would expect to score goals. And you sometimes maybe have to give a, give a take a little bit to kind of get a little bit more back. And I think this United team haven't got the talent in the final third, even though they have got talented players, to truly do that every game. You kind of maybe see it two out of three and the third game, they're just not quite got it because someone will sit a bit deeper and then they have to kind of go back themselves a little bit. So I think that's what I want to see. This is why I say in terms of creativity that, you know, yeah, Sancho would be great. Yeah, Haaland would be great. But more than that, just spread it wider. Find the correct striker. Find the correct forward. Find the correct trekarista. Find someone in that final third that unlocks the door for you every week because I'm not convinced Manchester United have got that player. And I don't think that player is Bruno Fernandes. I think Bruno should be the supplementation. He should be the guy that gets high assists, high goals, but doesn't have to do everything. I like his press. Go and press the ball. But you don't have to be the guy that wins every match on your own. Nah, it's fantastic points. And uh, that's the thing, you know, you're looking at Bruno Fernandes. I think that's what we're seeing this season, that... He will he will put up those numbers, goals and assists at quite a frightening level. But yeah. I actually don't think that he is that player. I agree with you. You know, people compare him and De Bruyne. I'm just bringing up De Bruyne as an example. But De Bruyne is a more talented footballer. He's a better footballer. He will pick those passes. But Bruno Fernandez, if you want a player to to get in the right positions to score goals to affect games, he will do that for you. And I think that's a great point. And that sort of lends to what we've said over the past month or so. You know, if United. Don't get a number nine. You know, could Bruno play as a false nine for next season? Could you yeah. get someone in? Yeah, and that could really, really work. I do agree with that. Rob, a question here asking, why do you think Oli is making in-game substitutions and subs late? Um, I don't know if it's every game, but I think, you know, today was definitely an example of where he has he has obviously taken time to make that substitution. I did tweet that Paul Pogba came on probably two, 10 minutes too late. He came on the 75th minute. You know, people are asking why were Cavani and Pogba not playing. Well, Pogba wasn't playing because he was fasting, and that that needs to that needs to be said. You know, and that's it's a fair reason why Oli didn't play him. I don't think anyone had a problem with selection today, but it was all just a bit slow. And as you said, you know, the eyes seem to be on Roma, and that is the priority. United need to win that tournament. They're the best side left in it, 
And ultimately, look, I think they're going to be the players are happy probably with what well, or content with the nil nil, and uh, we move on really. If Pogba is fasting, and we know he is, we know 100% that he is, he just cannot start. I would have loved him to start, and I think that would have been the correct football decision. And like I said, some football fans, I think, only look at it like that in terms of black and white, being one or the other. But of course, this is all shades of grey. And if he, if the fitness reports show that his fasting does affect him and that he can't run, and that also with fasting, there's an increased risk of injury. So what are you going to do? Put Paul Pogba out there for what is effectively a dead rubber of a league game. You know, it doesn't really matter to Leeds. Manchester United are second. Um, you want to win the game, of course, but you've got to find different ways to win the game. I would have liked to have seen Paul Pogba come on the pitch earlier, but Again, maybe there were, he didn't have more than 15 minutes in his game. And I actually think when he did come on, he did look a little bit flat. You know, he did look like someone who might well be fasting quite seriously. So I think that that is the, again, it's not worth crunching those numbers. Because I think when you look at Ole's substitutions throughout the season, I've been fine with them. Uh, now, of course, Twitter hasn't because Twitter doesn't like anything. Twitter doesn't like the sun coming up every morning and all of that stuff. But ultimately, when you look at kind of his his real substitutions in real time, I think he has impacted games from the bench pretty well. And I like the way that, that Ole has used Cavani, that Ole has kind of switched the attack around. He's never been one to kind of uh, leave it way too late. But I think today the substitutions were too late. So if Pogba can only give you 15 minutes then do something different. Don't even bring Pogba on. Leave Pogba to come on with five minutes to go. I think there's a pressure there to go and win a game, so you bring Pogba on and you maybe go, I don't want to give him half an hour, so I give him 15 instead. And I think it's all a little bit of lip lip service to the fans because the fans want to see it and Ole wants to win the game. But it might have been today, this was the day you did just something a bit left field, that you gave Donny van der Beek half an hour and said, Donny, this is your chance. I'm going to switch my system completely. And we might even risk losing the game. But let's just try it. Let's do something a bit different. And I trust you to take this this result forward. But as it went, nil-nil was probably the right result. Leeds didn't look like they were going to hurt United. United just played with a weird kind of malaise. They all looked like they were fasting. You know, they all looked way off the pace. Uh, and I think you've just got to take it and accept it for what it is. Rob, well, I think this comment here um, from Heli is probably spot on and it sums up the game. Leeds have sorted themselves out, beat City with 10 men, one mil- one, sorry, 1-1 one, one against Liverpool, 0-0 nil, nil against Chelsea and United. Different approach from Bielsa. We didn't finish the few chances we had. I think people need to also give Bielsa some respect, Rob. I know that um, obviously... There is a lot of uh, media love for Bielsa and it can sometimes be a bit frustrating because, you know, United beat them 6-2 last time and the media were fawning over Bielsa. And, oh, what a attacking performance to go to Old Trafford where you got, you know, you got smashed 6-2. But you have to give them credit, you know, over the last five games they're unbeaten. You've seen those results against those top sides. They're a really well-drilled side and they've got a really, really good manager. And ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, Leeds was was never going to be a walkover fixture, was it, you know? he's they're a really good side they're a strong Premier League outfit now and uh ultimately at the end of the day you just have to take a hats off to them as well you know they they kept United pretty quiet I thought United were a better side and and that was it really yeah Leeds are a bona fide mid-table team yeah they've proved it this year they can beat lots of teams they can look after themselves they came into the league with this kind of reputation or not being particularly defensive and they weren't very good in defense but I think when you look at their stats and stuff it shows that they are a good all-round football side 
Uh, Bielsa gave Ole a lot of respect today, probably more respect than he's given most teams that they've played this season. And as I said, it was because of that pasting that United handed out to them at Old Trafford. So not really a surprise to see Bielsa not particularly shut the shop up, but tell his players to play with maybe less intensity. That was the least kind of buoyant I've seen Leeds all season. I've covered their games and looked at their matches and watched everything this season. And they've always been a high tempo side. And today you could say that they were mid-tempo to maybe even low-tempo. So credit for, to United for that because that came about from the first game. The issue maybe for me is that I would have liked to have just seen United do a little bit more. But I think that that question has to be answered in the next transfer market in terms of what players you bring into the football club, how you develop youth. Do you look at, you know, Shortier? Do you look at Diallo? Do you start bringing their kind of exciting X factor into the team a little bit more where opponents are not ready for them. That's an option for Ole. But I think it comes down to buying the right players. You know, if you go and buy a, a striker that gets you 30 goals next year, I think this Manchester United team are title contenders. The one that we saw today that wasn't very good and the team that hasn't started matches very well for months and months and months, go and get a 30-goal a season striker, someone who's lethal in the box. And when you make 16 chances in a game, Haydar, put one of them away and you suddenly put 15 points on your league title, on your title challenge every season. That's as simple as it gets. And that's what Manchester United need to do. That's what City will be doing in the transfer market. They'll be going, we're losing Sergio Aguero. How do we solve this? They might not go and buy a striker, but they might go and buy someone that allows them to score more goals, whether it be from deeper or not. And I think that's what Ole needs to figure out. Does he need a Bruno Mark II, a Pogba Mark II, or a Haaland Mark I, or something like that? But that's up to Ole to find a system that allows Manchester United to be more lethal in the penalty area. You talk about transfers, Rob, and I think it's a good time to segue into the Glazer Out protest, uh, the Green and Gold movement. I think it's... It's fantastic, you know, after the whole European Super League incident that happened debacle. And Rob's written a really great article on what he thinks should be the blueprint going forward for football. So, guys, please check that out on our new website. That's thefootballmasterclass.com. Uh, all the podcasts will be up there. All the articles Rob will do will be doing a piece, a couple of pieces a month. Uh, so please check that out. But, um, you know, for, for the first time in a very, very long time, we saw the fan base united. And it was great to see, you know, this fan base is just so fractured. Something you've said to me, very early on when we started the masterclass, it's, we're neurotic as a fan base, you know. It, as you always say, don't get high, don't get too low. And we see that a lot with with the fan base. We're all guilty of it. I, I can do it as well. Um, <clears throat> not discounting myself. But um, it was great to see us actually for two or three days really come together. Now is probably for me, look, they've been in charge for 16 years there's never been a better time to really make a noise and try and get them out. I really do fully believe that. Will it happen? Look, there's so many different obstacles in place in terms of, you know, is there going to be reform? I think that's the only way United can get them out, Rob, if there's reform. If they manage the government come in and say, you've got to do the 50 plus one ownership model because no one's going to come in and spend 40, 4 billion on Manchester United. I just don't see it happening. But um, what are your thoughts on the movement? You know, obviously there was a protest yesterday. Um, I have a bit of a you know, a gripe about how we can't even do a protest together. There has to be two separate ones. I think that's that's wrong in itself. Um, but it does seem like now more than ever, United have a chance to force them out after everything that's happened. They've showed their hand. They've showed, the Glazer have showed what they're really about. You saw Avram Glazer turn around and say no comment to the Mirror reporter in 
wherever he is in Florida, wherever it is. Um, and that just shows their contempt for for the club and they don't care. But um, what are your thoughts on it? It's difficult. And the reason why it's difficult, and I'm going to say this with a straight face, is that Manchester United fans have been complicit in the ownership issue with the Glazers since day one. The fact that the that fans don't like it is obvious. None of us like it. We've none of none of us have liked it that the club has been laden with debt. None of us have liked the direction of the Glazers. Everyone knows that the Glazers are not particularly bothered about winning. <laughs> you know, they, they're looking at the money more than anything else. And there's there's a whole host of things that you can look at in terms of the abuse of the football ownership model from our own owners. But Manchester United fans have to find a way to be heard. Now, when it comes to the European Super League and obviously everything that went with it in the last week or two, football fans found a way to be heard. And the, the way they did that was kind of uniting with the press, uniting with the, the correct factions and showing that they had a voice, that they had an opinion. United fans have always had an opinion about the Glazers. And I'll say this, I've been complicit. We've all, we all have. Why? I'm a season ticket holder at Old Trafford. I still pay the Glazers for that privilege because I don't want to give my season ticket up. But I tell you what, going back over the years, the one thing that has upset me, especially with the green and gold movement, is that there are plenty of ways that we could have had effective protesting throughout the 16 years. And as a fan base, we just can't do it because we all hate each other so much. So, and it does come down to that. You see it on Twitter all the time. There is a genuine bona fide hatred between several several factions, whether it be fan channels or people who are kind of legacy fans or whatever you want to call them or global fans. All of this stuff is about divide and conquer and the Glazers know it. They know how to shut you up. They know how to shut me up. They know how to keep going and earning the money. The European Super League has given us an opportunity now to maybe review stuff but we can never do it unless the government implement 50 plus one. The 50 plus one system, which operates in Germany, but doesn't really, there's no legal precedent for it in England. We are a capitalist nation. And how do you take that ownership back from the Glazers? You say, hey, yeah. your, your, your billions of pounds investment in Manchester United, you're just going to give 49% of that now to the fans. Is that all right? And, and Joel's going to go, mm, yeah, do you know what? Yeah, we got it wrong with the league and all of that. Let's be friendly. It's not happening. No one is going to be friendly when it comes to billions of pounds. So I would love to see that happen. I think that we're in a perfect moment for that if we get there. But we need the 50 plus one model for the whole of football, for the whole of English football. It can't just be about United. Our interest is about Manchester United. That's what we talk about. And that's, you know, that's the bread and butter at the end of the day. But I don't see things changing. Why? Because I think once we get to the summer and everything has piped down a little bit and everyone's calmed down, I don't think a few thousand fans turning up at Old Trafford does anything. I would like to see happen what I suggested about eight, nine years ago. And that was, I said, that what we needed to do was that we all needed to go to the games still and not attend them. And what I meant by that was that if there's 75,000 of us at Old Trafford and 50,000 season ticket holders, is that we go to that game and we refuse to go in the ground. We stand out outside and we sing for 90 minutes. And that stadium is empty and our players play in front of a literally a half-empty stadium. And yeah, there'll be 25,000 people in there. But as we're seeing with games now, when you've got a reduced capacity, you can't hear anything. It might as well be empty. 
Yeah. So if you took 50,000 United fans out of Old Trafford on a normal match day, you better bet that the, the, the people in the media are going to report on it. And it's a huge news story. And what we've seen here is just a little bit of gripes from the fans stopped a £10 billion competition going forward. Just a little bit, one day of discourse, cut it all down. So it shows that it can work, but fans have got to be prepared to do the hard graft. And I don't believe they are. I think they want to buy the shirts. I think they want to be part of the culture. They want to all be global fans. You know, they all want to watch the games. We're talking to our audience now. Who are these people? Are you willing to boycott your football club for the good of your football club? So this is the bigger philosophical question at the end of the day. I go to all the games. I would love to stand outside with 50,000 United fans every match and sing for my club and try and find a way to put United in a better situation than they're in at the moment. Do I think that that can happen? Do I think that that can be organised with the people who currently run our football club in the supporters' terms? Unfortunately not. I believe that people at must have great intentions. I would love to work with them closely and help them and be part of that. But we need more. And the thing is, you can't just have a select band of, of fans. It's got to be something that's global. It has to be an approach where all United fans say they want change and they're willing to do a little bit more. The Glazers knew that what happened with the European Super League might have been the knife. Yeah, that might have been the knife that cut the, the umbilical cord of what they had towards us. And they jumped out their skins. That's what they did. And United fans have never, ever threatened them with that before. One day it took Haydar. One day and there was change. 16 years on, the Glazers still run Manchester United in exactly the same way that they ran it from day one. And hey, fans go on Twitter and it's Edward Wood this, Ed's gone, blah, blah, blah. None of that matters. None of uh, I, that I matters. Said, Rob, I said about Ed Woodward. It means absolutely nothing. I said that when we heard that he was he was leaving. It means absolutely nothing if the Glazers are still here because they're just going to put another Edward Wood in there. But the irony of it is, is that Edward Wood has been a, a Glazer foot soldier for all the time he's been at Manchester United. And Edward Wood resigned because he was not down with the European Super League. He told UEFA three, four weeks ago he wanted Manchester United in the Champions League. He said that to the boss of UEFA. That's on record. Yeah. And when it came to it, he resigned before they announced that he resigned. So they knew he was, and it just, it was a clever PR move. We know the PR guys that run Manchester United's PR, and they know what they're doing. They put it out, and every United fan, what did we all do? Edward Wood's gone, hooray. And the funny thing is, Edward Wood's not the problem. The problem are the Glazer family that run the football club. Fantastically said, Rob. And what I do want to touch on quickly before we do wrap up, though, is you talk about those those factions in the fan base, and that's what will stop it. You looked at Liverpool. I know when Gillette and Hicks were there, and they they pretty much all they just they all went outside the ground. You know, sixty seventy thousand people, and then a couple of days later they sold. I know it's a different scenario because Liverpool were broke. They were pretty much going to administration. But United fans, apart from obviously when they did take over, they haven't really done that. We talk about these factions in the fan base. You know, even fan channels don't get along with each other. You know, even these supporter groups don't get along with each other. There's so many different divisions. I think that does come down to the fan base being so big and so diverse. But they, for me, that is why change has never happened. You know, these factions, people call people names about being fan cams. They say they make money off the club. There's people that are in certain, you know, I'm not from Manchester. You know, I'm from London way as well. You know, there's certain people that think if you're not from Manchester, that you're not a real fan. All these issues. How can you iron that out though? You say obviously standing out the stadium, but Honestly, 
this is the time where United fans should have come together. And we came together for the European Super League, but it's come to this protest now. And there's two different protests. It's, I mean, it's just ridiculous. And people are saying, oh, well, you know, those that went yesterday, oh, they're the fan cam guys. So the people that go next week are the real supporters. You can never win with that mentality. No, you can't. And the problem is there's like 10 different protests going on. It's not even two. It's like a, a protest here within a protest. You know, can we protest harder than you're protesting? Can we look more united than you look united? All of that stuff is toxic. And it's really kind of part of the game, not just at Manchester United, but obviously every football club, you have this kind of ultra. I called it last week the Twitter ultras. And I wasn't joking because that's kind of what they see themselves as. If I can shout louder, then, you know, I, I mean more. Then you've got the Ole outs. You know, this is now about Ole. Does Ole back the Glazers? Let's go after Ole. All of these things are just noise at the end of the day. And that's part of the problem with football. Um, what we need, Haydar, now is effective leadership, yeah, from, from the central body of, of United supporters. And that is must, yeah. They, they are the guys that can coordinate. They're the guys that have got a voice. They've got connections with the media and also with the football club. And the idea is that if there ever was a supporters' trust that had a say in the running of the football club, it would be them. Manchester United have got a billion fans, and it's very hard sometimes to, to harness that many people. But it's not difficult to harness a football stadium. Yeah, we did it. We did it once going back where the green and gold looked very impressive, but it, it petered out. And unfortunately, that became an exercise in selling scarves. So back the guys the, outside when David, when David Beckham is 2010, yeah, before, yeah. further than further back than that, way before Beckham put the scarf on, way before. So, yeah, you know, before. going back over the two, three years of that period, we, we had it. And, and unfortunately, what happened? It became a commercial activity. It came an opportunity for some guys to sell lots of scarves and make quite a bit of money. It's like that and now, though, Rob. People are doing that's that. That's what it's. But this is exactly. I'm. This is why I'm saying it, Haydar. Right? Because I'm not going to have a go at the fan channels, but I'm going to make my point really, really clear on it. And that is, we've got several kind of what I would say prominent fan channels. Yeah, as most big football clubs do have. And those guys that run those fan channels have their own agenda at the end of the day. Now they're United fans. But they've found a niche in the market that allows them to earn a wage and in some cases a very, very, very big wage to keep their fan channel going. They're the ones that have to either make the sacrifice to go and sit around the table with all seven or eight big fan channels and say, right, we're going to actually actually be united or they can just play lip, pay lip service to the issue. And that's what I believe is happening now. It's all very good of heads of fan channels making little vignette videos going, this is the time for change. Yeah. It's all it's all just bluster. You've got to do it. You've got to stand together. You've got to you've got to make sure that your fan channels are broadcasting the same message, and you've got to make sure that you're not doing it for hits. If you're doing it for hits or popularity, and I think that a lot of them are, then it's not going to work. It's the end. And we need these fan channels to show that they've got influence. And I think what it comes down to at the end of the day, Haydar, is that lots of shows, lots of fan channels. They just still look at this as a commercial opportunity. And it's a bit like the green and gold scarf. This week, it's Glazers Out. So Glazers Out means that I can uh, get my program. And on YouTube, I can have a clever little headline saying, Glazers Out, United fans, Storm Old Trafford. Look at us. We want them out. We're going to do everything. It's rubbish, isn't it? It's just rubbish. And United fans know it's rubbish. They might watch it because they're interested in the subject. But the truth is, it does nothing. And the Glazers see all of that, their PR teams, and they go, we're not scared of you. 
because you're not uniting. You're just making your little bit of the pie because that week you want your extra 10,000 hits or in some channels, your extra 100,000 hits. It doesn't matter to Manchester United. The Glazers are not scared of fan channels. What they're scared of is losing their cash cow. They're scared that United fans might actually get together and go, we're not buying your shirt anymore. And in fact, you know what? We'll buy your season ticket, but we'll embarrass you by not going to the game and we'll shut you down yeah. and we'll go. It doesn't matter having people on Sky Sports saying that, you know, I, oh, I'm on a fan channel. I say this. It doesn't matter. Those things do not work. They're just media. It's what the media does to make the subject interesting to the common fan. And this year, this week, I've had more non-United fans talk to me about United than ever before. People ringing me up and people I know saying, this is quite interesting because we actually see now that your fan base doesn't like your ownership. And I'm like, well, we've never liked them. But, yeah, but this is a moment in history, wasn't it? It was a moment in history where all of those factions came together and managed to shut down seven or eight prominent billionaires in football, absolutely shut their gobs down. But it has to continue, Haydar, and it can't be lip service and it can't be pretend and it can't be faked because fake stuff like that is really obvious and the media love it and the football clubs know it doesn't hurt them and it doesn't affect the bottom dollar and the bottom line. And that's the money. It's about the money at the end of the day. These fan channels can help the situation, but they've got to sit together, mate. They've got to sit together and talk to us, to other people, whoever has any kind of influence in that, whether it be social media or whether it be, like as I said, actually on YouTube or any of those things, they've got to talk and they've got to be intelligent and they've got to actually think that they've got a voice at the moment. To me, it seems that it's about hits and clicks. And if it's about hits and clicks, Manchester United will allow it to happen. And by the summer, we'll be talking about Haaland or Sancho or whatever. There won't be any talk about ownership anymore. And what will happen eventually? The European Super League will happen in a year or two. It's definitely going to happen in some form or the other. It's just that this time, you might just have UEFA's name stamped on it. And if you put UEFA's name on it, they'll make their little bit. And the Premier League might stamp their name on it. And then everyone's happy. But it means that we still have an elitist league and it means that these billionaires are still in control. You make a great point. And this is not for us to slam these fan channels. I just want to reiterate that's no. not what we're doing. You know, and we're not saying they're not fans. We're just saying that when there's people profiting from this, Rob, there are, there are people, you know, selling there stuff are. for yeah. it. There are. And, you know, I'm not going to name anyone, but when you see that, what makes them different to the Glazers? Because you're making money off, off I, of United. I understand. I, look, if, if you're a big channel, and you've got 100, 200,000 and you're making money through obviously YouTube and things like that, sponsorships, that's fine because you're a United fan doing that. And I have no issues with that. The issue I have, Rob, is when you're selling personalized T-shirts for this and you're you're there and you're promoting it as, um, oh, we're, we're just streaming it. Well, you know, at the end of the day, you're just doing it because you want to improve your, your coverage of it. And that's why this week, Rob, you know, obviously, you know that there's the other show I do with uh, Kieran and Joe. I said to them, we're not doing anything on the Glazers and we're not doing anything on the European Super League. Why? Because it could have been an opportunity for us to to get more and to jump with the uproar, but that's not what I wanted to do. And that was not the direction we want to take this because this, you know, this is a, you know, that's the direction we want to take it, uh, you know, as a podcast. But that was my issue that, you know, people selling scarves and making money out of it. I, I just saw that was wrong, but that's just my personal opinion. This is not to attack fan channels. I've seen people like Goldbridge call out the Glazers. I'm, I'm not saying he doesn't, but it's when people are seeing his opportunity to get more views, more clicks. And that's what I have an issue with. And ultimately then what happens is those that are doing the protest next week, you know, I've spoke to you, I, I'm probably going to go to that one, but 
those that are doing next week are turning around saying, oh, these fan cam guys are just doing it for money. Not everyone is doing it for money, but this is the problem. And ultimately, at the end of the day, you're gonna have you're gonna have that split. No matter if the Glazers are in charge or if anyone uh, Saudis in charge, you're gonna have that split. And uh, it's just sad. And it feels like you know, no matter how bad the Glazers are, they know that, as you just said, this this fan base won't will never really do enough to to put their differences aside and to to get them out. Yeah, look, fan channels and new media are cottage industries off the big industry of football. Now, I look at it this way. You know, I'm a football journalist, have been for 10 years. I've been a football fan my whole life. I, you know, live and breathe the game. That's why I ended up doing this job. And I've talked about and written about Manchester United, you know, a gazillion words on my football club because I know a little bit about it. So I get that you are allowed to earn a wage from this sport. There's no problem with that. It's part of the industry. The issue is, is when you say you're one thing, but you do the other. That's the issue. So I've got no issue with someone making a T-shirt and making 10 quid on it because that's not really the problem. You're not, I wouldn't say that you're akin to the Glazers because the Glazers are doing it on a much more kind of deeper political level, financial level that we can only dream of, you know, figures that you and me will never ever see in terms of like money, monetary situations and what Manchester United is as a football club and as a financial institution. But if you're going to walk the walk, then get on with it, yeah. If you want, if you want to be influential as a fan channel, and I don't, this is why I don't mention individuals' names on these fan channels because I'm not interested in that. But these guys have all got to get together and put together this kind of united front, and they've got to go to must and say, let's do it together. And they've all got to do it and say, do you know what? We're not doing this for hits and clicks. We're all going to put out the same video. Yeah, and it's going to get the same coverage and we're not doing it to get one over you. I see it all the time, especially in the the kind of clickbait arena, as I call it, where there's lots of guys that I know and you know as well, where they put a video out and the headline is clickbait. Yeah, and it's all just to get someone to click because they believe that if they get 100 views of their small podcast or whatever, and last week they got 99, they're doing something right. They're going the correct direction. But in this situation with the football club and with the ownership issue, those things just don't count. They're not important. And they're only really important if you're at the top end of the food chain with these fan channels. So it's really up to those guys who maybe have more power in this situation to to offer some leadership. But I think the other side of it is is that I, I question whether they want that. I don't know if these fan channels are just happy with their lot. You know, are they happy being able to protest against the Glazers because that makes good media? Is that, is that the truth? You know, And I think that's part of it. So these guys, if you want to walk the walk, go and do it. It's all there for you. Prove it. Prove that you want to do it. Get together. Get a consortium together. I'm not saying go and buy the football club. You're never, ever going to have the billions to go and run a football club. But go and do it, do it with due process. Go and do it the correct way. Go and do it with a bit of intelligence. People shouting on a camera doesn't work. You know, even the guys who went to these protests, like you saw the Arsenal protests the other day, and people were like, well, that was the reason why, the Chelsea protest as well, when when it all happened on that day. That was a good image as to why it happened, but it wasn't why it happened. It was because the whole fan base kind of spoke with a collective voice, and that was a kind of visual representation. I am worried about things like fan cams and all becoming more important. I think that's the issue. I think people are a little bit too bothered about those things, making the news, you know, as they go along, let me create some news. Uh, and then I sell it to my three or four, five hundred. Rob, there's also, there's also a demographic of fans. Um, let's yeah. call them legacy fans. You know, 
there are there are a few groups who are obviously very very passionate united fans and that's completely fine but they they do also have a big issue with new media we're sitting here doing new media that's what yeah. we're doing and we reiterate we're not a fan cam and we're not but we're still we're sitting here obviously i'm in my room you're you're in we're, we're, we're discussing united and they've yeah. got they've just got a serious problem with that and i think that's another thing as well you've got to come with the times that is the new way not every person that sits in front of a camera like we are is is trying to do clickbait things and not everyone yeah. who does a fan channel is clickbait as well that's what i do want to reiterate but the point is as well is that you have you have sections of the fan base who, who are a different demographic who just hate anyone that does this and I think that's wrong as well. Not everyone who who does fan cams is is out there to make money. Some people do it because they just really? love talking about United and love talking about football. Absolutely. And I, and I think look, I look at it this way, um, you know, just to close on it, just I think, you know, I am by trade a legacy fan. You know, I'm 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 someone who's gone to games since I was seven years old. For me, it was about I'm a fourth generation Man United fan. To me, that's that's what it's about. It's about my kind of man, my, my, my Mancunia roots, even though I did also grow up in London. So it's all about those things for me. And everyone has a different story about why they support United. And there's no issue with that. But, you know, my whole career has been about new media. That's where I'm from. I'm from a new media background or what would have been called new media in the early days of when it meant something, when it really was new. It's no longer new. YouTube is not new. Twitter is not new. Twitter is 15 years old. Facebook is older. You know, so these new media channels are not new anymore. And this is why we get frustrated when maybe say they don't solve the racism issue because it's not a new issue. Go and sort it out, Twitter. Go and sort it out, Facebook. And that becomes an issue in itself. When we look at the Glazers, the Glazers own Man United. It's not a new issue, is it? So we've got to find a way that, that has traction. And that's, I think, more about it. So anyone that's got an audience utilize your audience but come together with other people that have it and don't just compete because i think that's what fan channels are about they're about calling each other out and you see it lower down the food chain on twitter well, we know we know that you know we've, we've seen it all the time and people that yeah you know i've and it's about I've shouting at people it. and look how cool i am and i can give you this and my gob's bigger than your gob and i get you know and i might win an award for it and i might get this i might get some kind of heat off a you know, a talk sport, someone might talk to me about it. none of that matters. Just, you know, get on with it. That's fine. If you're earning away from it, no problem. Well done. You know, big thumbs up. But if you want to be part of it, you know, in terms of changing the ownership of this football club, then you've got to do more. You can't just chat about it. You can't, you know, a lot of these people do it, sit behind cameras, you know, you need to go to Old Trafford. We need to see your face there with us. You know, when the games are back and we're all at the stadium and we're talking, yeah, you get fan cams there. But the guys that run these channels are not there. They're not. They send people there. They pay them money, you know, a few hundred quid in your pocket and off you go and do fan cams because that's part of the culture. We don't want that. We need United fans to unite. But it has the ones to with be. The power, yeah. Yeah, and it has to be. But if you want your little cottage industry out United, then fine, carry on and that's it. But if you really want to be part of the moment and help, Maybe United become a model. We may be a, something that in 50 years' time they're talking about in terms of a, an ownership model change in English football. Then you have to lobby government. You have to turn up at games and make a kind of noise that doesn't just get kind of pushed to one side with one or 2,000 fans in, in one day's worth of news. You've got to do it as a collective and you've got to do it effectively and peacefully. As I said, this, this is not about a call to arms. This is about showing 
that visually you can unite as a fan base. And the Glazers absolutely know that divide and conquer works in football because it works in almost every sport. But in English football, it's bigger than anywhere. In Germany, it doesn't work. Yeah, if there's any issue in German football, I've seen it before with multiple football clubs where the, where the, where the fans rise up and in a week, the problem is dead because the fans are gone, we're not going, bye. And owners straight away go, we haven't got the power to change this, so therefore we need to kind of back down. It's kind of what happened this time with the Glazers, but it's not the bigger question when it comes to the ownership. Yeah, absolutely. Rob, I'm going to finish with this comment here from uh, Heli, and it says, it's a business where the product happens to be football. Our owners care about the profit. As long as they're making the money, they're happy. They don't come to matches, and they're not interested. I think that just sums it up. Um, Look, final word, Rob, before we wrap up. Um, Look, today wasn't great, but at the end of the day, United are probably going to finish in second unless there's an almighty collapse. Um, the big game really is this Thursday, isn't it? And then we've got Liverpool on the weekend. But United go and win it against Roma, putting a good performance against Liverpool and, and get to the final. There's the following second leg against Roma. We won't be talking about this game at all, will we? And uh, look, if Oli gets a trophy and gets second, especially if it's Europa League, look, that's, a, that's for me, I'll be, I'll be delighted. I'll give him his dues. And I think that's a very good season for Manchester United. Yeah, I think getting to the Europa League final now becomes the focus. You know, everyone knows that I'm a bit blasé about cup competitions. I've said it over and over again. But of course, when you're in this position in the semi-final against a big club like Roma, you want to go and win it, don't you? You want to at least get to a final. So I think that, you know, obviously (laughs) going from the semi-final into a final, again, is a kind of step forward from last year where they had three semi-finals and didn't quite make it. That would show a little bit of progress. Um, And I think with the league programme now going to the end of the season, what we'll try and do, I think, with the games is that we will look a little bit more forward thinking. So I've always said, let's look at the game and maybe the immediate past and see how we can build. But I think we can now start to think a little bit more about where do Manchester United go in the summer? Tactically, what do they need to change? What kind of players do they need to bring in? We'll talk about individuals a little bit more. We'll try and be a little bit more progressive in our thinking rather than just talking about games because I would not be surprised if the rest of the league campaign is relatively dull even if United win games. I can just see it being a little bit like that. We might get one or two sparks in the middle. Obviously, United have got to play our uh, our famous rivals in a not-so-distant future who have had a particularly bad season. Um, so those things are all interesting and entertaining, but also we want to talk about where can we go from here. And sometimes we feel that it's the obvious choice, like do we want to talk about Haaland? Do we want to talk about Sancho? What's Pogba going to do? I think there's plenty to talk about that can make Manchester United better, that's got nothing to do with those core subjects. What could Ole do to make changes, to make this team better? Systematically, tactically, where can we go from here? And I feel all right about it. You know, I always keep saying this. I don't feel down on Manchester United as a football team. I might feel down on them as a football club. I was embarrassed by them in the last two or three weeks. But it's something that's not new, 16-year-old problem. And For us to talk about the football, we want to look at something for next season now. And I think we'll do that in the Masterclass. Absolutely, Rob. I do agree with that. There'll be some exciting topics coming up. So, guys, make sure you tune in. Spread the word. You know, retweets are much appreciated. You know, we want to grow this Masterclass family. As I mentioned early on, we have got our website out and Rob will be writing a few articles. You might see one or two from me. Uh, You might see me put uh, pen to paper, but that's on www.themasterclass.com. Please check check it out. Um, Hass, the editor, my brother's done a lot of great work on there, and there'll be some really good content, really good articles coming up. Guys, have a lovely rest of the weekend, and we will see you next time. Come on, sports.
This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.